Well, if you would again, uh, take out your Bible and let's turn to Genesis chapter 19. And we will today be reading verses 1 through 29. Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hand and brought Lot into the house and with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And they brought them out. One said, Escape your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. 
Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was... That when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out to the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray, God, now that you would give us ears to hear as the word is preached. To be with this, your servant. May the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be true and pleasing before you. Help us to understand and apply your word to our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the surprising commentaries when it comes to uh, the account of the destruction of Sodom is the reference to Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2, which we read for our New Testament reading, where Lot is referred to as a righteous man. Now, on first blush, we might ask, how can this be? How can Lot be regarded as righteous? Lot. You remember? Lot, who had departed from the blessings of Abraham, had taken for himself the best, the most watered land. And we often assume that he was selfish in doing this. Lot, who had moved to Sodom, and he'd lived among the most vile, the most wicked of people, and who, in this present account, will then attempt to hand over his own two engaged daughters to be abused by this mob. How could this man, how could this man be considered righteous? Well, the answer comes in verse 16 in our text. As Lot lingers in Sodom, despite being warned to flee because of the pending destruction, and the two angels grab him and his family by the hand and drag them out of the city, the Lord being merciful to him. When you consider how could Lot be called righteous, you should also ask yourself, how can I be considered righteous? You see, beloved congregation, it is the mercy and grace of God which can take sinners and make them righteous. Lot's righteousness, and yours as well, is an alien righteousness. It is a righteousness which is not your own. God has chosen to be merciful toward you, a sinner. In many respects, this is really the story of 
the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Certainly, you have the destruction and uh, of the, the pouring out of the wrath of God, but with, within that, you also have the mercy of God. Well, last time in our study, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we looked at the Lord's visit with Abraham. And during the course of that visit, the Lord ensured that Sarah heard about the promise that indeed she would have a son. In addition, the Lord brought Abraham into his confidence as a prophet. There was an outcry against Sodom, for the extremity of their wickedness had reached to the ears of heaven. The Lord had determined to destroy the cities of the valley because of their exceeding wickedness. But first, in a demonstration of divine justice, he would conduct a full investigation of the facts of the matter. And so he sends these two angels to Sodom. Meanwhile, Abraham begins to plead with the Lord. And this was what we talked about last week. He pled with the Lord to act in accordance with his character, asking if he would still punish the city if there were some righteous left in within her walls. And so he begins with 50. If there's 50 righteous people, and he begins to whittle down that number through a, a course of six interactions to where he, we land on the number 10. If there's 10 righteous The idea, of course, being that God is just and surely he would not destroy the righteous along with the wicked. In this way, the Lord demonstrates his righteous character and allows Abraham to participate as a judge. Although God ultimately remains the judge of heaven and earth. Since Abraham was to be the father of a great nation, and this has already been demonstrated in the episode with Sarah, he was to, that is Abraham, was to learn justice and righteousness. And so the scene now turns where the Lord departs from Abraham, but now we come back to these two angels. And they had made their trek down to the very gates of the city of Sodom, where they appear before Lot. And this is where we pick up in the narrative, as they find Lot in the evening sitting at the gate. Now, it is worth noting that throughout this narrative, there is a comparison and a contrast between Lot and Abraham. There's a comparison between Lot and Abraham. In chapter 18, as the travelers arrive at Abraham's tent, in the heat of the day, we find him, Abraham, at his tent's entrance. Lot is found at the city gate in the evening. Now, Lot being at the, the gates of the city would indicate some sort of leadership in the city. This is where a judge would sit. This is where important people sit, leaders. And so uh, Lot is some kind of leader in Sodom. Although, as we will see, the people of Sodom despised him. They didn't think much of Lot at all. And so here is Lot, it seems, playing judge. But Abraham will be the father of judges and kings. When the Lord and his angels came to his tent, Abraham immediately recognized them as heavenly beings and acted accordingly. But when the two angels come to Sodom, Lot does not detect anything particular about them. There's nothing nothing supernatural he notices about them. In fact, they do not reveal themselves as supernatural beings until they blind the men of Sodom. 
And even then, we find Lot lingering. As the two messengers arrive in the city in the evening, Lot rose from his place by the gate. He meets them. He bows his face to the earth. He invites them to his house for the night. This is just the sort of hospitality which you would expect to be practiced. He says, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. It's evening time. It's it's going into night. It's not safe for travelers to be out in the open country. And so Lot suggests that they stay with him. They may be refreshed under the protection of his home. And then they could depart early in the morning. And there seems to be, by the way, an emphasis on early in the morning, which will become more apparent But the angel's purpose is to investigate the charges against the city. And so they say this, no, we will spend the night in the town square. This is just the sort of place in Sodom you don't want to be. This becomes very apparent that being in the town square is not a safe place. And so Lot presses them strongly to come to his house. In fact, the Hebrew verb used, pastar, is the same word as used of the Sodomites attempting to press themselves into the house. This is, it's, a, it's a word of violence. So there's a wordplay here foreshadowing the violent actions of the men of the city. So Lot's urging of the men was heated. He's not, he's not messing around. He's not saying, you know, it'd be better. No, he's like, you must stay with me. Like, you can't stay in the town square. Like, that's not going to happen. That's the idea. He's not messing around. And so, they went to his house. Like Abraham, he prepared them food, and they ate. Now, Lot desired to practice hospitality, and to do righteousness, but as we will see, he seems to bungle his way through most of it, making questionable choices, not caring for his family or his guests appropriately. But you kind of get the impression, a lot is trying. He's not very good at it at times. Certainly in comparison to Abraham, Lot falls short. But compared to the people of Sodom, Lot was cut from a very different spiritual cloth. Lot served unleavened cakes to the men, not exactly the feast Abraham had served. Nevertheless, he fed his guests. He tried to take care of them as best as he could. The hospitality of Lot may only be conventional in part, though. He perhaps anticipates the treachery of his neighbors. He's lived in Sodom long enough to understand how things work there. He knew what sort of men they were. Lot pressed the men strongly to come. But then it also appears that he sought for them to be on their way early in the morning. The idea is this. Lot wanted them under the cover of darkness to come to his house, be cared for, and you know, you probably should leave before first light. Because he understands how sodomites are. But the two visitors to Lot's house would not remain secret for very long. Before they had gone to bed, the men of Sodom had come to harass them. The text says that the men of Sodom, both young and old, came, all the men to the last man. That's everybody, right? 
All the men of the city come. This pack comes surrounding the house, inclusive of every man in the city. Now, it shouldn't be assumed, though, that Lot's future sons-in-law were a part of that mob. Um, what is to say is this was a very, it was a very large portion of the city. Like, just about everybody is there. Whatever, whatever the case may be, this illustrates here the great wickedness and depravity of the city Sodom. Sodom's sexual immorality was pervasive and severe. And as the men surround the house, they call out to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. There's really no other way to explain this. The men of Sodom wanted to sexually assault Lot's guests. Now, there are some scholars who try to defend um, homosexuality by stating that the problem in Sodom was not their sexuality, but their lack of hospitality. (laughs) They will point to the contrast between the hospitality of Abraham and the men of Sodom. Now, it is true that there is a contrast in the treatment of visitors. It's certainly inhospitable to attempt to gang rape somebody. That's pretty inhospitable. This passage does not, of course, stand alone in its condemnation of homosexuality. And really, the subject is a little bit beside the point. The men of Sodom embodied the deviant sin pattern which is described for us in more detail in Romans chapter 1. Which illustrates the downward spiral of sin starting from rejection of God to rejection of the natural patterns of life into utter wickedness which is demonstrated by the men of Sodom. Listen to Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This this really is the embodiment, this is embodied in the city of Sodom. Now keep in mind as well the purpose of these two visitors as sent by the Lord. They were there to investigate whether the outcry against Sodom had any merit. And if so, then they were to exercise judgment. They were to destroy the place. And this incident shows how utterly wicked the men of Sodom really were were. So the investigation has proven the charges against the city to be true. And being inhospitable was the least of their problems. This was a people who were filled with every manner of unrighteousness. Every manner of wickedness. And here, the men of Sodom were openly making their intentions known. They wanted to know the men. They wanted to sexually assault and abuse these visitors in these, these, these who are on a journey from somewhere else. This is what they wanted to do. And so Lot, Lot understands what's going on. He understands very well. And perhaps he's seen this before. And he goes out 
to dissuade them, and he closes, of course, the door behind him. This is, this is probably an act of courage on Lot's part. As he's putting himself at great risk confronting them as he does. And he says this, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. And so Lot appeals to the men of Sodom with three tactics. First, he asks that, that they not act so wickedly. By calling them brothers, he's attempting to identify with them which is ironic in that he left behind his true brother, that is, his uncle Abraham, in whose presence he had received blessing. And he took up residence among a people who are anything but his brothers. And yet he calls them brothers. He attempts to, he attempts to identify with them. Now, of course, we'll see, too, they, they reject that identifying with him. Second, Lot offers his virgin daughters in place of the two strangers. Verse 8, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Now here's where we see Lot's moral compass has really gone awry. To put it mildly. It is hard to conceive of a custom which puts a guest's well-being over that of your own family. And yet this is exactly what Lot does, isn't it? He's willing to surrender his own daughters to rape and possibly murder all for the sake of his two house guests. It's hard to conceive of any practice that this would be seen as acceptable or proper. The third tactic he employs was an appeal to the principles of hospitality. Verse 8, Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. To carry out such behavior against visitors would be a serious breach of protocol in the ancient world. These men had taken sanctuary in his household. Lot Lot desired to be a good host, but here he is, he's blundering being a good father. (laughs) To put it again very mildly. In fact, such treatment by a father was despised in the eyes of God. Listen to Leviticus chapter 19. In verse 29, 29 says, Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute. This is, this is, in a sense, this is exactly what he's doing. He's prostituting his daughters. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. There, there was nothing good about what he was offering. Nothing. At the same time, it was a grievous offense to allow the assault of a sojourner or an outsider. He couldn't exactly just hand over his guests. I'm like, well, I guess you want them just here. You can't do that either. So Lot found himself, as one commentator put it, caught in a web of the most vile of circumstances and opts for a way which can never salvage any good. The choice he makes is not exactly a good one. There's nothing good that's going to come out of what he was suggesting. Lot found himself, it seems, in a no-win situation. It would have been wrong to hand over his daughters, but it would also be wrong to hand over these men. Both the men and his daughters were to be protected, neither being sacrificed for the sake of the other. One thing that is clear, though, in this passage is the men's intentions. And certainly Lot is well aware of their wickedness and their sexual immorality. And this is why he's attempting to persuade them. He pleads with them. Don't act, don't act wickedly. He offers his own daughters to them. 
He implores them upon the principles of hospitality, but all of this is to no avail anyway. The men were hearing nothing of this. And so the first recorded words from this depraved mob is the command in verse 9, Stand back. Step aside, Lot. Get out of our way. Lot is the only barricade between the mob and his household. There's a wordplay here which further indicates their aggression. Get out of the way, Lot. And since Lot would not move aside, they begin to revile him. This fellow, he came to sojourn with us, and he has become the judge. They refer to him as this fellow, or literally it's this one. This, this one, they, they won't even use his name. They, had, they held him in such contempt. Lot is an outsider. He's not one of them. He's not one of their brothers, as he had put it. This one has come to play judge among us? It's ironic that Lot was found sitting at the city gate, the place of judges, isn't it? And the one who's supposed to be respected among the people of the city, and yet he's not respected at all by the Sodomites. And how quickly they had forgotten how his uncle had rescued them. You remember? When the... the, uh, when the city, the, uh, the, the kings of the valley had gone to war with these outside kings who had attacked, and it was Abraham who had to go rescue the whole lot of them. They forgot all about that. Lot had judged their actions to be wicked, and so the response was this Now we will deal worse with you than with them. If you think what we were going to do to them was evil, well, just wait till we're done with you. So vicious is this gang. They began to press hard against Lot. They they nearly break the door down. And the heavenly visitors, seeing and hearing enough, reach out and rescue Lot from the wickedness which was to come. They brought him safely into the house and shut the door. And then, exposing their heavenly character, they struck the mob at the door with blindness. Both it says both small and great. That is to say, all of them were. Were, were made blind. Now the Hebrew term used here would be a word uh, for like to dazzle. So to be temporarily blinded by a dazzling light. So it's not necessarily darkness that they got, but it was, it was such a bright light they couldn't see anything. So they, they found themselves groping for the door. Now immediately the concern turns to saving the family. And so the angels actually ask kind of an interesting question. They say, have you anyone anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. God was concerned to save the whole family. The whole family. And it's interesting because the narrator mentions the sons-in-law first. Usually you wouldn't have sons-in-law. Maybe they've down the list a little bit more. But here, here they're mentioned first. Do you have any sons-in-law? This is the very uh, men, of course, that Lot has to go seek out in the city. And the reason that all must escape is that the place was to be destroyed. So the investigation has been concluded. The matter is now complete. Judgment was to come. But first, again, the innocent must be protected. The righteous must be rescued from destruction. And so Lot went out from the house and spoke to his future sons-in-law, urging them to leave Sodom. Up, 
Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. Now, maybe, maybe this is typical sons-in-laws, I don't know, but they think, oh, you know, future father-in-law, <laughs> you are such a joker. <laughs> maybe Lot tells to me dad jokes, I don't know. <laughs> but they don't believe him. They don't believe him. They think, oh, you're just joking with us. You're so funny, Lot. Lot's lack of moral persuasion shows how little he was thought of in Sodom, even by his own son's-in-law. Well, as morning comes, the angels urge Lot to leave. Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Lot and his family were all to be saved as a unit, and safety was to be found outside of the city. But... Lot lingers. Now why does Lot drag his feet? Knowing all that he knows, seeing all he has seen, why does Lot linger? Perhaps he's hesitant to give up his wealth and his prestige. Even though the people of Sodom held him to some level of derision, perhaps he's simply afraid, which is seen later in the explanation of his desiring to go to Zor instead of to the hills. Lot felt more secure in the city than he did outside of it with God. Lot dawdled in the face of great grave danger, and, and yet so do you and I, don't we? Are there not times where we're confronted with our own sin and the miseries of this life, and yet we hesitate to repent and to seek the Lord? We lollygag, holding on to what we have. Why do we do this? Because we're afraid of what we might lose in return. We love our sin and what sin gives us more than we love God. How often do we concern ourselves less with the blessings from the Lord, which we are to gain as we obediently follow Him, and more with the temporal things which we may lose? Aren't you and I a little bit like Lot? Lingering? You and I do not want to turn from our sin because we think that what sin offers us is better than what the Lord has for us. How foolish we are. And I say we because I'm with you. And yet this is what we do over and over and over and over and over again. What we need is God's mercy. Even as we may be kicking and screaming. And this is what Lot gets. Because he hesitated, the Lord had to seize him and his wife and their daughters and drag them out, as it were, from the city. Verse 16 then adds, the Lord being merciful to him. Isn't that marvelous? the Lord being merciful to him. Lot's salvation is not dependent upon his own righteousness, but upon the mercy and grace of God. Think about this. If it was left all to Lot, Lot would have been destroyed with Sodom because he would have just stayed there. (laughs) 
I know it's going to be destroyed, but you know what? I kind of like this place. I've got a nice garden going here. I mean, sulfur and fire? Ah. And you and I would too. The Lord was merciful to him. Well, as they leave the city, the angels give instruction. Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the city or in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. So flee for your life, Lot. Don't look back. Don't stop. Just run. Your very life depends on reaching the mountains for the cities of the valley are we to be destroyed. Now, Lot's response here, if you really think about it, is maddening. It's maddening. Wait, what? What are you doing, Lot? He refuses to escape to the, to the hills. Get to the hills, you'll be safe there. Hmm, about that. He's being rescued by God's mercy from certain destruction, but he wants to negotiate the, the place of escape. And he gives a speech which does nothing but waste precious time. <laughs> look, you got to get out of here. Don't, run, don't, don't look back. Just get, you know. Um, he says, oh, my lords, <laughs> behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. You have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills. Lest the disaster overtake me and I die Basically, what he's saying is, you, you tell me I'll be saved to the hills, but mm, I don't really believe you. Behold, this city is near enough to flee, which is kind of ironic because if you think the hill, you're going to get overtaken the hills, why do you think you'll be safe at that new city? Ah, he has different reasons. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. It's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. Lot pleads with God to spare Zor, one of the cities of the valley, which otherwise would have fallen under God's wrath. His argument is this. It's small. right? Well, what does smallness have to do with anything? Well, the implication is that smallness makes the sin that is there insignificant. Well, it's, it's small, so there's not as much sin as there is in Sodom. Think about the negotiation between Abraham and God. You know, if it's like, well, there's a certain percentage of righteous people, maybe I can add there and then it'll be okay, right? It's sort of negotiating this. It's little. It's not a big... God's not going to be concerned with Zor because, because there's just so few people there. There's just not a, enough sin to even deal with. Lot's argument for sparing of Zor is a far cry from Abraham's plea for mercy based on God's compassion and righteousness. Think about that. Abraham's concerned about God's character. Lot figures, well, God's so big, he only cares about big things. He's not going to care about the small city. It's not true, of course. Lot's spiritual evaluation is very jaded. This favor, though, was granted to Lot. Again, God is so merciful, so gracious, even dealing with our utter foolishness. And he gives permission to Lot to flee to that small city. God will not overthrow it. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Ironically enough, he was too afraid to go to the hills, and so he goes to Zor, 
But later, he's going to be too afraid to stay in Zor, so where does he run? He runs to the hills. We'll look at that in the future. The lot came to Zor, the sun had risen, and the Lord rained sulfur and fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And the ancient Near East court was symbolically held to the rising of the sun as the sun rose and court would begin. It's difficult to know the exact scientific explanation for what is happening here, but some have suggested that there's an earthquake which opens uh, fissures and spews gases, sulfur and bitumen in the air uh, being ignited. We already know that there were bitumen pits there. We saw that um, some chapters ago uh, as some of, them, some of the kings uh, and their men fell into these pits. Now, whatever the scientific explanation is, the author frames the immediate cause, the Lord. The Lord rained sulfur and fire and destroyed these cities. Whatever scientific ways he may have accomplished that, and there's plenty of theories of how that could have been done, makes little difference. It's the Lord who accomplished it. The Lord caused fire to rain down. And verse 25 makes this very clear. It is God who overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So the twin calamities of Noah and Lot are used of Jesus to describe the suddenness of the coming of the Son of God in Luke 17. The Sodomites were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur from heaven and destroyed them all. They're just going about their lives. And then they weren't. Jesus' return on the day of the Lord will likewise be sudden and unexpected by the world. And so the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are leveled to the ground. All of the people are killed. And even the plants of the well-watered valley were burned and destroyed. And even the animals there were destroyed. Everything was overthrown. This is a description of total destruction. Verse 26 reports that Lot's wife vacillated in their escape, probably longing to return. She looked back, and sort of probably the same reason that Lot lingered. Mm, I like my life in Sodom. It was good. The instructions, though, were for them not to look back. They were not to seek to, go, to return to that place and to its wickedness. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and says, which became a pillar of salt. Now, the scriptures do not tell us where Lot's wife came from. Perhaps she was a sodomite. We actually don't know much about her of anything. Salt, though, was a feature of the Dead Sea region. If you ever traveled there, there's lots of salt in that region. And her translation into an edifice of salt and uh, perhaps we should understand that she was, being, she was actually coated with salt But this testifies to the consequences of disobedience. In the ancient world, a place was strewn with salt to condemn it to barrenness and desolation. In a larger context, then, we are given a contrast again between Lot and Abraham. Remember, Abraham's wife had been barren her whole life, and now she will be made fruitful by God, while Lot's wife, who had already been fruitful, she had two daughters is now judged and made barren as a pillar of salt. Well, the destruction of the valley also had an eyewitness. 
Remember Abraham upon his high perch overlooking the valley? As Abraham returns in the morning to the place where he and the Lord had stood the prior day, he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and here's what he sees. Behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. What he saw was a great inferno which had taken up the whole valley. This was an intense concentration of smoke which makes clear the divine judgment which had taken place. And so the narrative has now come full circle. Abraham, who had been in the Lord's confidence and had been tasked with practicing justice and pleading for the righteous, now sees the judge of the earth execute that justice. God destroyed the cities of the valley, but God had also shown great kindness toward Abraham because he had rescued his nephew, Lot, out of the cities before they were overthrown. So just as God was merciful to Lot, he was also gracious to his servant Abraham. When we consider the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, often we first think about judgment, judgment of God because of sin, judgment against horribly wicked people. We think about God's wrath being poured out on them because of their sexual sin, their abuse, their violence, their inhospitality. And this is all true. But I want us to also consider that when God punishes sin, when when God pours out His wrath, part of the narrative is also about His grace and His mercy. With God's judgment also comes mercy and grace. There are two huge Old Testament examples of God's righteous wrath. We've, we've looked at both of these. Two accounts which serve as the prime examples of God's judgment. They, these are the examples pointing to it. This is what the end of all things is going to look like. Noah's flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in both cases, God demonstrates His grace and His mercy. Think about that. God was so gracious to Noah. He's called righteous. And here God was so gracious and merciful to Lot. Lot was rescued from sure destruction. And Abraham had mediated on his behalf. This, by the way, is a great example of what Christ does for us. For you and I. You and I were living in the city of destruction, as it were. We were destined to fall under God's wrath because of sin. And yet, in Christ, we have been rescued out of darkness and we've been transported into the kingdom of Christ. We have been taken by the hand, as it were, and dragged out of the city. And for some of you, kicking and screaming. And by the way, this was by God's grace and His mercy. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus saved those who otherwise would be perishing. He's made you his sheep and you know your Savior's voice and you follow him because you belong to him and he belongs to you. 
Christ Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. And He has given to you eternal life. His sacrifice at the cross has given life to all those who trust and rest on Him for your, for your salvation. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, then we would urge you to trust in Him. That you would not be as the people of Sodom, swept into destruction, but that you would be like Lot, who God has shown great mercy to. Trust in Christ. Rest in Him alone, that you may have eternal life. Because for the Christian, Lot was taken out by the hand, and he was brought out of that city of destruction. And as a believer in Jesus, you know, yeah, I was too. God took me by the hand and brought me out of that city, even as I wanted to linger. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you, God, for these continual reminders in your scriptures of how you bring out judgment, and yet always in the midst of judgment is your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the mercy and grace in Christ that is ours as we trust and rest in Him. We thank you that at the end of all things, we will be among those who belong to Jesus. For Christ has taken us by the hand, has led us out of the city of destruction, and has led us into the celestial city, into the heavenly place, that we may be with Jesus for all eternity. We thank you for the blessings you pour out on us, the rich um, grace. We give you all praise, God. In Jesus' name, amen.